Hello, and welcome to the Rooted in Reliability podcast, your plant performance podcast, where we dive deeper into asset management techniques and know-how. I'm your host, James Kovacic, and I will be your guide to achieving industry best practice. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is here to provide you with the insights to improve plant performance and deliver bottom line results to your organization. In case you missed the last episode, you can find the Rooted in Reliability podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the reliability.fm network. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. Do you have plans August 25th and 26th? Add Leading Reliability Conference to your calendar. Join Iridicio, RDI Technologies, Fluke Reliability, and UE Systems for a live and in-person conference in Clearwater, Florida. Hear from the top industry leaders on industry hot topics. Each company will also be hosting pre- and post-event workshops. Don't miss out on the event of the year. To learn more about the Leading Reliability Conference and to register for the event, visit www.leadingreliability.com or check them out on LinkedIn. It's my pleasure to welcome back Fred Schenkelberg to the podcast. Welcome back, Fred. Hey, thanks, James. It's been a while. I appreciate being back and uh, always enjoy talking with you. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You know, it is always a pleasure to have you on and answer questions. Um, you know, let me pick your brain, if you will, to mm-hmm. uh, help solve problems that were getting asked about in the in real life so definitely good to have you back oh glad to be here yeah it, when you say problems i i it reminds me when i was working with hewlett packard is i was corrected one time so we don't have problems we have opportunities okay whatever looks like a problem to me <laughs> sure we'll go with opportunities then i'm okay with that whatever <laughs> so you know, one of the things that has come up recently working with a client they're starting to understand that, you know what, we have to design things properly or else we're going to have a hard time maintaining them or they're not going to be as reliable as we want and realizing that there's a trade-off, right? There might be some more upfront cost or if we do a little bit more to make it a little bit easier to maintain, it might become a little less reliable and vice versa. Those They're starting to understand these you know relationships and trade-offs and all these things. Mm-hmm. So they ask the question, where do we start with design for maintainability and design for reliability? Where do we... What do we do? Like, do we got to start running all these advanced statistical analysis to start? Can we start with some basic checklists? You know, what do we need to do and how do we get moving in this realm? Well, the short answer in my mind is long before you decide you need a piece of equipment or you know, set up a line, um, you start with what's your business objectives. You know, it, the best, reliable, the most reliable piece of equipment is the one you don't buy because it can't fail, right? Um, do you need that equipment? Do you need this piece of hardware or system or structure or you know process or whatever it is? Um, it starts as a business decision. You know, it's, it's, is this supposed to work for, if I need to build a line and to, to manufacture, say, some high, product, high volume production type of equipment, well, what's my environment? What's the business objective? What's uh, what's the cost point that the cost of this thing plus the cost of ownership is it going to be profitable for us if we do the right things? Um, but that's a business decision to set up. Are we setting this line up and it's going to last twenty years before it breaks even? Well, that's a whole different challenge than if it's we're just you know getting the quick easy couple of tables here and and we're just going to crank it out in our garage well that table doesn't need to last 20 years if the business doesn't survive the the quarter then 
well, then you probably don't need that table anymore. But where does it start? It starts way before you talk about what exactly you're trying to buy. And to be more specific, though, it starts with, well, what are you trying to achieve? What What's the environment? What's the usage rate? What's All of those elements of it are critical pieces of information to narrow down your selection of, well, what type of equipment am I looking for? What kind of qualities or features or, or elements of it I really need? Um, another piece is, you know, I remember working in factories where we would buy equipment that was very consistent in the ability to make a product because product quality, what we were shipping was paramount. We wanted to make a very good product consistently. Um, sure, uptime and all these other factors mattered, but the cost of maintenance was relatively low for that style of equipment that we were buying. They were, they, they, we weren't abusing them. We weren't pushing them to their limit. We didn't have a harsh environment, for example. So the maintenance on these things was pretty minimal. And so it was pretty easy. I, I think you mentioned it last time we talked, James, is, well, the answer to this is it depends. But it, my short answer is it starts long before you go to the catalog to pick out a, a piece of equipment. Well, I agree 100%. I think at this point, you know, when we're first starting here, the one thing that I don't see very well controlled, at least in my experience, is the equipment specifications. Yeah. What? Are, well, <laughs> yeah. You know, why are why are we buying this thing first off? Okay, we got to put widgets down the road, or we got to put something in a bottle, whatever it is. Right. What is the specifications? What is the speed we need this to do? What is the repeatability or quality specifications we need? What is our maintenance requirements? Can we only shut it down once every six months for two days? Or mm. can we shut it down every week for a day? Right. Those are going to drive very different decision-making processes and what we need to do to make, meet those and potentially very different designs to yep. meet those. Yep. Yeah, What's I'm thinking... the operating context? You know, all these other things, you know, we need to start with that clear equipment specification. I think that's the first step for any sort of design for reliability or maintainability. Yeah. Oh, very, very, very true. If, if, you know, if high volume throughput and no interruptions is critical, you start talking about redundancy in just so that if a part of the system is, you know, resilience in your design so that if a section goes down, you have alternate paths to keep the process running, maybe at a slightly degraded uh, uh, throughput, yet you keep running and you can maintain it. It's the same in the electronics industry for very high end servers they they have two power supplies, for example. If one of the power supply fails or is not acting quite right, you can hot swap it out. Um, in some industries, that's a requirement because of the cost of shutting down. I, I early on, I was working. I got a, a tour of a factory. There was two factories we visited. One was a chocolate factory, and one I don't remember what it was. It was a petroleum based. I don't remember exactly what they're making, but one of their ingredients was caustic soda. Have you ever run into that? Yes. I've, I've seen caustic used in a lot of different things, uh, mm -hmm. mainly for sanita sanitizing, though. Right. And one of the features of this particular blend of what they were pushing through these pipes was that if it gets too hot, it would s become solid. If it got too cold, it would become a solid. And then they just basically cut the pipes out and replace them because they couldn't 
reliquify it. Um, so the product I was working with was a heating cable that would keep that pipe at a particular temperature within a pretty tight range. Um, and I guess it was replacing steam that was used to do that. And the same for chocolate. If you go too cold, it solidifies. If it goes too hot, it destroys the quality of the chocolate. And so there was another application where it made a big difference. But the they wanted redundant ways to maintain that temperature because the, the cost of tearing out a bunch of piping in a factory uh, was pretty cost prohibitive. So they spend a lot of time up front designing systems that to, to minimize the chance of that ever happening. Um, and it wasn't a safety issue as much as it was just, just pure cost if something failed. Yeah. And, you know, all those different types of things we really got to be focused on. Like, you know, having those equipment specifications, understanding those consequences, if this thing fails, what's the consequences? It's not a safety thing, but it's a major production loss in your instance. Right. You know, we have to understand all the trade-offs and all these variables. And then once we understand, you know, the specifications, the consequences of if this fails or that fails, what's going to be the, the output, then we got to start asking ourselves, well, I think what is more important? Do we need to ensure that reliability with redundancy or do we have maintenance windows where we can intervene on a regular basis or not? How critical is some of these operations? those types of things. And that will start to help us inform our decision-making around where do we invest time? Is mm -hmm. it reliability, maintainability, a little bit of both um, with more reliability, for example, or a little bit with more maintainability. And those are the types of things I think you got to start early in the conversation. Well, what I've run into a couple of times with the style of, you know, do we need to get more equipment or where do we need to focus? We want to do factory improvements or whatever is on the theory of constraints a lot of the operations folks are focused on that one piece of equipment that's perceived as the bottleneck and everything else gets short trip you just get whatever we can we can deal with it later you know and I, i'm thinking of a bottling plant where the, their primary focus was on the bottler yet the labeler um it it just got ignored <laughs> But it would go down and it would go down for six hours and you didn't, they didn't have anywhere near enough buffering to repair it and get it up and running. And so even though they focused on the specifications of the throughput of the different pieces of equipment, if that piece of equipment just isn't working, if you didn't think through when you have a downing event, it's going to take you down for six hours. Um, it Then it becomes, in the theory of constraints, it becomes the the bottleneck uh, but it was just <clears throat> the focus was hyper on well this one only can do a thousand bottles an hour or a minute or something it was some ridiculously fast speed this thing was running at it was like four or five hundred bottles a minute and the labeler could do a thousand and i said yeah if it's working <laughs> yep. so it's like you need to think through this and you've got experience, you got data, you got all this other stuff in here and you're, you're putting all this money into working on improving the bottling equipment. Um, I think you're missing the opportunity here. And so at some point it's, you got to use the experience. You got to use the data you have, all those pieces that you have, even an existing line, if you're looking at doing improvements to that line. Um, and then the, I think the other piece of advice is don't trust the sales guy. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Iridicio. 
be sure to check out iridicio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value-added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.iridicio.com. So, <laughs> you know, once we have our specifications, we're not trusting the sales guy. We're using the data to kind of point us where we need to focus. Where do they actually start this process? Do they develop standards for, you know, some basic high-level standards for maintainability and reliability? You know, um, you know, all motors are on quick disconnects, for example, as opposed to hardwiring, makes it easier to repair and change. Um, well, yeah. Do they start with some high-level stuff like that, or do they go into how they're going to run models and all these other things? You know, where do they get started with it? Well, I think, uh, like everything else we're talking about, it depends. Well, let's say you have a, a, a a really good reliability and maintainability program in place already. And you have um, the capability to gather and analyze the data, whether it's oil or temperature or vibration, you know, or whatever. And you got a, a reasonable amount of time to do preventative maintenance. And then you do overhauls on a regular schedule. You're not, you're not being forced by the ops team to go at, well, we, we bought this equipment. We're going to use it at 110% because they always pad these things and we're going to use it full time, you know, just harshly. Um, you got a good program. You're running at 80% capacity on your equipment. You've got uh, slack time to do the proper maintenance. You can do failure root cause analysis when it's appropriate. All those things are in place and you want to bring in a new piece of equipment. Your first thing you mentioned, James, of well, you don't want to bring in a piece of equipment that you don't have the tools, expertise, or capability to, to handle maintenance on it. You bring in a, a, a Martian-invented foreign space doohickey thing that only you know six people in the world know how to maintain. Well, now you just hobbled your maintenance team. <laughs> so you need to have a, a, we use this kind of system. We use this kind of tools. We have this kind of capability. And it creates a guideline for and we use it in product design too is so you go with proved vendors or you go with the commonality wherever you can because it just saves time in adapting it into your program and not to mention the spares why get six different brands of motors that all use completely different sets of tools and parts when you could streamline your entire logistics chain by sticking with one those kind of guidelines to me are common sense, but I've not seen it often enough, I guess. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is, you know, some of these standards can start very, very simple with those common sense approaches. We use XYZ as our PLC brand right. and controls. So therefore we don't have 18 different things we got to stock. Oh, and then you not have to have all the translators and all the code to, to let them talk to each other and, and you know, sort them all out. Yeah. Yep. And then the skill set required to have people to be able to work across multiple platforms. That's a whole nother piece, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's basic ones like, you know, lube line. You have lube lines where you can access outside of the guardian while the equipment's running. You know, basic things like that, I think, go a long way. Oh, definitely. And in the I, maintenance program, you know, the team can help create those if you don't have them. They, they know what works and doesn't work right off the bat. I think where it starts is that you, you need to bring that experience into when you're thinking about bringing in more equipment long before you make the purchase decision. And I've seen that way too often and it's kind of heartbreaking as they throw it over the wall. Say, hey guys, here, go install this and, and figure out how to maintain it. <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's too late. 
Yep. Oftentimes. And I think, you know, that's where you get started is we create those basic standards for how, how we want this thing to be to maintain and how we want it to be reliable, pulling in maintenance maintenance guys to help with some of that, pulling mm-hmm. some data that we have on similar assets or asset classes. We start there. And then you know, once we kind of have that working with engineering, because I think that's the key part, this isn't maintenance alone, they got to be working with engineering. Yep. From there, then we look at some of the more advanced things like creating models or trade-off analysis and those types of things. Right. But I think right at the beginning, it's those high-level basic standards. And can, are we executing against these? Because if we can't execute against those, all the other more advanced stuff, the different models, designs, all those things, that's not going to make a difference. That's right. Yeah. No, you got to get the basics right. And we've talked about that over and over again. You got to do the blocking and tackling to use that analogy. You got to get the fundamentals right right from the start and then build up from that. Yep. Yeah. And I think that design for say maintainability isn't just what the equipment looks like or how it operates. There's a whole nother component there. For example, is there a complete bill of materials that we can upload into the CMMS? Yeah. You know, (laughs) do we have documentation? Yes or no. That's all goes to maintainability and reliability as well. So making sure we get that from the vendor or the capital engineering team, you know, that's just as important. Well, it's, I think I like this if, if for a major purchase and especially for custom equipment is that the, the, the team's engineering t- group in the plant needs to work with the engineering team for that custom build. Um, even though that they may claim, oh, we do design for maintainability and they count on this. They use the common types of screws or they use com- a lot of fundamentals. They may do really well, uh, yet they don't know the application how well the maintenance program is running do we need ports to measure this that or the other thing do we have access panels on the right side versus the left side some of the very odd head piece of equipment in a electronics factory um the aisle they had it left and right so that the operators could walk right down the aisle and service all the equipment on on two lines from the center line from the center walkway and they needed to replace a piece of equipment it showed up and it was the wrong side. It was just, it was a left-handed machine versus a right-handed machine, kind of the one way to describe it. And the line was down until they could get it repaired, you know, another one made and shipped to them. And how did you miss this? <laughs> and that was there for the commissioning of this thing. And, and they, they got it the day before and says, no, we're shipping it back because it's the wrong side. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um, but it starts long, it, you got to think through where and how you're using it. And one of the things I see from the vendor side is, well, they don't know how you're using it. We built this to put components down on a circuit board, uh, but we don't know, are you in a dusty, harsh environment? Are you doing some other treatments or other uh, factors in your plant that creates hazards for this piece of equipment that we need to protect against? Is it, uh, uh, you know, just the the fundamentals of how it's used and what's the environment. The vendors need to know these things so they can advise you correctly and help work with you to get the right solution. Oftentimes, they're blind to how people are putting equipment into their facility. And, and that's a disservice to that conversation. Yeah. And that operating, going back to the specifications with the operating context is very, very important. Yeah. Right? If we don't have that specified well, then, you know, we might be getting the wrong stuff. Yeah. It was shiny. There was no doubt about it. It was a nice piece of equipment. It was just 
they didn't yeah <laughs> just check. rated for water not not acid that's all that's right yeah minor differences. minor differences yeah sometimes those things matter you know sometimes they don't um but yeah it's just but the, it, to where to start is you got to understand your business situation you got to understand the operating environment and, and conditions um but you also need to understand what are you already good at and, and, or where do you plan to be when this equipment comes in? Do you, are you, do you need to bring in more expertise or is this your uh, new piece of equipment that you're going to learn a new tactic and bring it into your system? Um, but it's, it's always within the context of the larger culture around your organization. Um, yeah. The worst example, and I know I've told you about it before is they always bid bid out a project for a new piece of equipment and they always went with the low bid essentially and so they had 18 different models and 18 different sets of components and materials that very rarely were cross-compatible and then they had you know so only so many people could work on those three pieces of equipment and only so many could work on that so they had manpower shortages arbitrarily because nobody could work on the schindler equipment versus the bosch equipment and it was just, I was like, just because you're, you have a policy that you go with the lowest bid, you're not counting the cost of ownership. And thinking through that right from the get-go, it, that's just criminal in my mind. I agree, right? And those are the types of things that plague company after company. Or it's an, or you all hear often, well, it's an extra $2,000 to have this PLC versus what their standard is. Right. Well, it's going to save you $100,000 over the next 10 years. So get over yeah, it. Because <laughs> right off the bat, now you got 10 grand worth of spare parts you got to buy. Where if you went with the paid that two grand up front, you wouldn't have had to add any additional spare parts because you already have all those. Right. And expand your storage capability and, you know, on and on and on. And the, yeah, it, I don't, and it's the same when people look at you know, the cost of ownership of, in the military examples are all over the place is well they get all these cool features and then they have to triple the cost just to maintain it and it's like oh, come on and that, <laughs> well that's where that trade-off analysis comes in on hey we want this what is it going to cost us to it not just up front but long term to maintain and yep. support yeah no i well maybe the best place to start james is read your book i'm sure you covered some of this in there in the one or more of the chapters was where do you start start early and think There's, bigger picture <laughs> Yes, there is a lot in the book, you know, designed for maintainability, you know, multiple co-authors in it. I was only one small part of it. Um, but there's a lot of wisdom in there that talks about, you know, how do we make troubleshooting easier with self-diagnostics? Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of things around basic design stuff. What size bolts do we use? How many bolts do we use on a flange? All those basic things like that as well. <laughs> but getting into you know, where do we start? Good specifications, yeah. doing that design trade-off, all those different things, you know, it's all in that book. And that's just for design for maintainability. There's another one by the two lead authors or editors on design for reliability as well. Um, so it's all in there. And all this stuff is readily available, but it takes time to go through it, learn it and figure out what actually applies to our business. Yeah, no, no, very much. When you mentioned, you know, the self self-test or self-diagnostic stuff i saw a panel and had you know had alphanumeric characters and all that stuff and i said so do they give you like cryptic codes that could be anything and they go no 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 when we first got it it was all in german and we don't speak german 
<laughs> so they said it, it spelled out exactly what the problem was. And we translated a few of them and they made sense. And then we got a firmware update and changed it over to something we could actually read. And it's actually pretty useful. But uh, you got to get the specs right. That uh, What language do you want the, the, the descriptions of the failure mechanism in? <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it before when that happens. Yeah. So, yes, 100%. Even those, what language do you need the documentation in is very, very important. Yep. Well, it's, in, you, you got to be multicultural to be a good at your maintenance program. So, it's you know, working with bearings one day and motors the next day. You got to, you know, get it. Be flexible that way, I guess. Um, but so, hopefully, we outlined a pretty good framework for where to start. And it's, it's much, much earlier than when it shows up on the dock. Yep. Well, that's the idea. So hopefully organizations will take some, uh, w or take some of the wisdom and start before it shows up on that dock. There you go. Now, yeah. now Fred, you haven't been on in a while. So just in case people don't know, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they find out what's going on? You know, what about speaking of reliability, all those other things that you have happening? Okay. Well, speaking of reliability, um, as you know, James is part of the reliability.fm, which is a URL, uh, uh, I guess, HTTP, whatever, just reliability.fm will take you to uh, a page on the Ascendo reliability.com site. And that's a podcast network that uh, uh, James and I think we've got. I just added another one on quality. Uh, I think there's like eight active um, podcasts on there now. I think there's that many. I have to have to look at it. I got another one I'm adding this week. But the um, that's one spot. And you can certainly find us uh, there and, and on Speaking of Reliability or through the show or and on our About pages. There's lots of ways to get in touch with us. Also up on LinkedIn. Uh, Ascendo uh, Reliability is a platform that has um, multiple authors, multiple podcasts. We do webinars and those are all free. And then there's uh, resource lists and all kinds of other uh, goodies in there that you get access to with a free membership uh, on the site. And I probably field oh, on the order of an hour a day worth of questions. Um, so if you've got a question, just let me know and LinkedIn or direct email or a contact page through the site. It works great, but, uh, we're trying to, uh, create a, 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 a process or a platform, I should say that people with great contact like James, um, can get material out to you so you can find them and, and enjoy that stuff. But there's lots of good content out there. So we're trying to make it easy for folks to get content material out there to help you solve problems and or solve create opportunities i should say um but also it's a, a way for people to uh, share ideas and to ask questions and get move forward because uh googling something doesn't always work um for your particular circumstance but here's a collection of folks that uh, are working in the field and willing to share their knowledge so take advantage of that that's probably a that's probably the longest I've ever taken to describe the site, James. You got caught me on a good day, I guess. Absolutely. Well, Fred, thank you for taking the time to chat through where do we start with design for maintainability and reliability, you know, updating everyone on the, the comings and goings with Ascendo. I'm going to have to check out the other podcasts on there because it seems like it keeps growing every time I hear from you. So definitely appreciate it. Hey, no problem, James. Always a pleasure. Look forward to our next chat. All right. Thanks, Fred. All right, cheers. 
I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.iridicio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the Reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.